David and Jonathan embrace, and the most beautiful expression of friendship in all of Tanakh is spoken in verse 42. And Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, seeing that we have sworn both in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord be between me and thee, and between my seed and thy seed forever. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 87, Jonathan's Arrow and the New Moon. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. I praise today the humble bunt, a baseball maneuver whose etymological origins, like much of baseball's beginnings, is shrouded in mystery, but the act itself is easy to illustrate. Rather than swinging as hard as he can, a player squares off, tapping the ball so that it rolls just a bit in a particular direction. A bunt is commonly performed as a sacrifice. The bunter deliberately puts himself in a position to be thrown out at first in order to allow those already on base to move into a scoring position. As such, one can suggest that symbolically the bunt is the ultimate embodiment of altruism. In choosing to bunt, the player eschews power and prominence in the interest of the team. The bunter knows that even if everything goes as planned, he will not hit a home run. Fireworks will not be shot in his honor. The crowd will not rise in unison, chanting his name as he rounds the bases, pumping his fists. Thus the bunt embodies fame foregone, dreams deferred, all in order to assist another in advancing. And sacrifice, aiming, and precision on behalf of others is at the heart of one of the most inspiring tales in the entire Tanakh. The defeat of Goliath marks the rise of David as the greatest warrior in Israel. Meanwhile, Saul, knowing the prophetic pronouncement of Samuel that his dynasty will not endure, senses that David is his divinely destined replacement, and so Saul seeks to kill David. The Bible strikingly speaks of an evil spirit from the Lord that descends upon the king. We do not know whether this is something supernatural, spiritual, or psychological. David is not only a warrior, but also a musician, and has been asked to play soothing music for Saul. Chapter 18, verse 10. And it came to pass on the morrow that an evil spirit from God came upon Saul, and he raved in the midst of the house. And David played with his hand, as at other times. And the spear was in Saul's hand. And Saul raised the spear, for he said, I will smite David to the wall with it. And Saul was afraid of David, because the Lord was with him and was departed from Saul. Therefore Saul removed him from him and made him a captain over a thousand. Then he went out and came in before the people. Strikingly, the one person most dedicated to David is Jonathan, Saul's son and apparent heir. Jonathan senses that David, not he himself, will be the next king and a covenant of friendship is formed between them, between the heir apparent and the actual divinely designated successor of Saul. Jonathan's story is striking because not since Aaron embraced his younger brother Moses have we found such an astonishing absence of envy. David's fame as a warrior grows and grows, and Saul's attempt to give him impossible military tasks with the promise of marrying his daughter Michal only backfires. Instead of bringing about David's death, David actually accomplishes militarily all that he seeks to achieve. This only increases the king's obsession and paranoia. Following several attempts of Saul to end David's life, Jonathan decides to see if the king's anger has cooled and if it is safe for David to return to the palace. Chapter 20, verse 18. Then Jonathan said to David, Tomorrow is the new moon, and thou shalt be missed, because thy seat will be empty. The new moon, or Rosh Chodesh, the beginning of the new month, marked a moment of celebration in biblical society. Jonathan here proposes to David that he, David, absent himself from the meal, and Jonathan will attempt to divine the relative safety of David in Saul's palace. In order that Jonathan not be seen by Saul as assisting David, Jonathan tells his friend to hide behind the large rock in the field 
as Jonathan comes out there ostensibly to practice his archery. Verse 20, And I will shoot three arrows on the side of it, as though I shot at a mark. And behold, I will send the lad, saying, Go find out the arrows. If I expressly say to the lad, Behold, the arrows are on this side of thee, take them. Then come thou, for it is well for thee, and there is nothing to fear as the Lord lives. But if I say thus to the young man, Behold, the arrows are beyond thee, go thy way, for the Lord has sent thee away. Ostensibly, Jonathan is out in the field to shoot arrows, and he is someone collecting the arrows, the way a ball boy collects the balls at the U.S. Open or Wimbledon. But unbeknownst to this boy, the archery is actually an elaborate signal as to Saul's ultimate intentions. Jonathan is saying, If my father Saul is no longer angry at you, David, I will fire more precisely, aiming right near the young lad, so that he does not have to go far to retrieve my arrows. But if I will shoot far, too far, if I aim high, so that it goes over the boy's head and far away from him, and I have to send him after the arrows, then you will know that Saul still seeks to kill you. And my grandfather, by Aaron Soloveitchik of blessed memory, one suggested that this was not a random sign. Rather, it embodied Saul's mistake. Saul aimed high. He strove for fame and fortune, majesty and might. As the arrow swiftly sailed over the boy, Saul sought to surpass David and was willing to do anything in order to do so. But in so doing, Saul overshot. He misfired. He lived a life that sought the stratosphere, but one that was, at certain terrible times, ultimately unguided by the Almighty's instructions and in defiance of them. One might say that Saul sought a home run for his dynasty, but it is that very mighty swing that turned terribly foul. Here for a moment we may return to the concept of the baseball bunt. One of the fathers of the modern field of advertising, the executive David Ogilvie, is quoted as saying, Don't bunt. Aim out of the ballpark. Aim for the company of immortals. But is this a good rule for life? Is fame and achievement in the eyes of others the truest mark of spiritual and moral success? Jonathan might have had every expectation of succeeding his father, and therefore every temptation to join Saul in attempting to end David's life. But he does not do so. Instead, unlike his father, he sacrifices his own ambitions in order to advance the monarchy and dynasty of David. And thereby, Jonathan achieves success with his life in stark contrast to much of the tragic story of his father. The meal commences in celebration of the new moon and, as the two friends plan, David is not there. The next day, another celebratory feast takes place, and when Saul queries regarding David's absence, Jonathan offers an excuse that David has gone to a family celebration in Bethlehem. Chapter 20, verse 27. And it came to pass on the morrow, after the new moon, which was the second day, that David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan his son, Why does the son of Jesse not come to the meal, neither yesterday nor today? And Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem, and he said, Let me go, I pray thee, for our family has a sacrifice in the city. And my brother, he has commanded me to be there. And now, if I have found favor in thine eyes, let me get away, I pray thee, and see my brothers. Therefore he does not come to the king's table. Then Saul's anger burned against Jonathan, and he said to him, Thou perverse and rebellious son, do not I know that thou hast chosen the son of Jesse to thine own disgrace and to the disgrace of thy mother's nakedness. For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the ground, thou shalt not be established, nor thy kingdom. And now send and fetch him to me, for he shall surely die. Jonathan then informs David of Saul's continuous murderous intent. 
The rescue by Jonathan of David is an astonishing act against interest. Jonathan knows that David and not he will take the throne. He also knows that David is the man that stands between him and kingship. But he, Jonathan, saves David nevertheless, setting the stage for the rise of the Davidic dynasty and the eternal affiliation of the tribe of Judah, David's tribe, rather than Benjamin, Saul's tribe, with the monarchy. But this great act of a son of Benjamin, Jonathan, on behalf of a son of Judah, David, can be seen as a repaying of an act of loyalty that unfolded in Genesis, in which Judah, David's ancestor, committed an astonishing act against self-interest on behalf of Jonathan's ancestor, Benjamin. As we know, the last section of Genesis is devoted to three brothers, Judah, Joseph, and Benjamin. Joseph is bound to Benjamin in that he and only he is Benjamin's full brother. They are both sons of Rachel. Disguised as the vizier of Egypt and testing his brethren, Joseph frames Benjamin for a crime and claims Benjamin as a slave. At that point, Judah, the half-brother of Benjamin, and the one whose idea was to sell Joseph, steps forward and in an incredible moment of repentance asks, take me instead. The moment marks Judah's rise to greatness and it spurs Joseph's forgiveness. His bursting into tears is identifying himself and then embracing his brothers and weeping. Judah then unites the brothers by acting on behalf of Benjamin. And centuries later, Jonathan, son of Benjamin, acts on behalf of David, a descendant of Judah. In both these stories, there is revealed the potential within the people of Israel to forego self-centeredness and the desire for power to sacrifice on behalf of others. A son of Rachel and a son of Leah, Judah and Benjamin, David and Jonathan, in the bond between one and the other, we find the unity of Israel. Thus, Jonathan leaves the meal at Saul's palace and goes out on the field and overshoots the arrow in order to illustrate that David is still in danger. After the arrow-collecting lad departs, David and Jonathan embrace, and the most beautiful expression of friendship in all of Tanakh is spoken in verse 42. And Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, seeing that we have sworn both in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord be between me and thee, and between my seed and thy seed forever. As we will discuss later in our journey through this book, what occurs here sets the stage for the locus of Jewish sanctity in the future. Saul reigned from Benjamin's territory, and after his death, David will be crowned originally in Hebron, a city deep in Judah's territory. But later, David will conquer Jerusalem and establish that city as the center of Israel's devotion. Many point to the fact that Jerusalem is a city that shares territory between David's tribe and that of Saul, and that the conquest of Jerusalem by David and the making of Jerusalem into his capital was a way of uniting disparate factions. This is certainly true, and we will discuss this further. But the city of Jerusalem is also a reification of the sacrifice that Jonathan has shown for David, that a son of Benjamin has shown for a son of Judah. After all, ladies and gentlemen, let us contemplate how this exquisite verse in which Jonathan and David promise friendship to one another is reified in what Jerusalem became. God will be between me and you, between my descendants and yours, forever and ever. That, of course, is exactly what the temple in Jerusalem is. Shared territory between Jonathan's tribe and David's tribe, with God dwelling between them at the epicenter. God will be between me and you, so they say. To see the embrace between David and Jonathan, to see Israelites sacrificing for one another, this is what Jerusalem is meant to show us. And this is what the story of David and Jonathan teach us.
George Will once titled a book collection of his columns about baseball, Bunts. And in his introduction, he explained that even though these essays were all short, they were hopefully akin to bunts and that, quote, bunts are modest and often useful things, end quote. Bunts are useful indeed. And they are modest in the sense that they do not get the roar of approval from the crowd. Today, of course, it is home runs that are celebrated. And the recent sabermetric approach to baseball often rejects the bunt as an unnecessary out. But, as an interesting article in The Atlantic by Randy Leonard tells us, quote, Every fall, when the toil of 162 games begins to wear out the muscles of big sluggers, and only playoff pitchers take the mound, the bunt reemerges. Sometimes it even helps determine a champion. In 1997, the Baltimore Orioles missed out on their first World Series appearance in more than a decade because they couldn't execute a seventh-inning bunt. In 2001, during what was arguably the most thrilling fall classic ever played, legendary Yankees closer Mariano Rivera threw away New York's chance at a four-peat when he fielded a ninth-inning sacrifice bunt and threw the ball into center field. In 2012, the San Francisco Giants swept the heavily favored Tigers and their quarter-billion-dollar slugger Miguel Cabrera on a steady dose of small ball, stolen bases, hit and runs, and yes, bunts. End quote. At times, it is the sacrifice, devoid of glory, that moves the game forward. And at times, in a much more profound way, it is selfless sacrifice, devoid of glory, that moves history forward. The story of David and Jonathan, beginning with Jonathan's words, Machar Chodesh, tomorrow is the new moon, is always read on Sabbaths in synagogue when Saturday precedes the beginning of the lunar cycle. The shining light of the new moon is traditionally taken as a symbol of the glory of the Davidic dynasty. But on the Sabbath before the new moon, on a day when there is no moon to be seen at all, that day belongs to Jonathan. And the point is that Jonathan is truly one of the greatest figures in the Bible precisely because he does not seek the limelight. He does not seek to be king. Precisely because he is devoted to the new anointed of God. Precisely because, unlike his father, he does not seek to work against the providential plan. Jonathan sacrificed his own ambition on behalf of David. The fame will be David's. The dynasty will be David's. But because Jonathan did not seek to reign, Therefore, he will continue to also reign in our hearts. This is Mayor Soloveitchik. Looking forward to learning together tomorrow. Signing off.